This is how we do. We make a move and act a fool while we up in the club. This is how we do. Nobody do it like we do it, so show us your love. This is how we do. We make a move and act a fool while we up in the club. This is how we do. Nobody do it like we do it, so show us your love. What up, everybody? Welcome to episode 36, 2, 5, and 10. I guess we're reviewing the first two games of the Stanley Cup, and then we're getting into our previews of game three and four. Benny, what do you think so far? First of all, the Glenn Anderson episode is the one I'm going to go with today. 36, former Oiler and Ranger, Stanley Cup champion. Uh, first two games, I thought Boston had a pretty decided edge in tempo and physical play in game one. Game two is more even. St. Louis rebounded nicely. Uh, Biddington has not done anything to win St. Louis games. In fact, a couple of goals, especially in game two, were pretty soft. Um, but a good series so far. I think it's only going to get better now that both teams got their legs under them a little bit, and now there's a little more physical play to the series. And I can tell you have a little extra pep to your step. Yeah, I, I know we were talking before it, and that was the first thing you said. You're like, you, you look, uh, you look like you're ready to go today. Does it have anything to do with the Stanley Cup? It might, it might. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I don't know what that feeling's like. So, you you will, pal, when you get a uh, caco caco. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just to start out, I guess, what has your thoughts been on a physical play in the series? Just because that's been something that has come taking taking over as one of the storylines so far in the first two games and then we can get into uh the two big hits so far in the first two games yeah um i'd say the physicality for sure we went from the story of two two different stories basically uh game one it was a little quiet and then out of nowhere we have the hit heard around the world with tory krug flying through the air and just absolutely crushing robert thomas um, I know there's a lot of different views on that. I know a lot of people thought it was a charge. Um, I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. I know he did come a long way. Uh, granted, when he was skating all the way up the ice, I know it was kind of he was pissed off. He's going up ice to now jump into a play. I mean, obviously, Thomas didn't have the puck when he started skating up the ice and he let up just before the hit, so he glided into it. I'm assuming or hoping it was so he got all of him with no head contact, so that way there wouldn't be any repercussions or suspensions. But, yeah, dude, he just killed him. Killed and him. And Thomas missed game two and is questionable for game three from that hit. Even though, So my issue, like you said, I don't think it was a dirty hit at all. I just thought it should have been penalized for either charging, I know he didn't leave his feet or skate into him on a hit, but he made a beeline down the rink, made no attempt to play the puck, and if that's not a charge, and I would at least think it would be an interference call. Um, so I thought that should have been penalized. I don't think it should have been anything more than that, but I think that was kind of a missed call by the refs on that one. Yeah, speaking of missed call, I know the NHL just handed down a one game suspension to Oscar Sunquist on his hit on Matt Grizzlick in game two. During the game, he only got a two minute boarding call. I think I'm going against all of the Bruins fans right now. And I mean, we might want to put out a missing poster for me, Benny. <laughs> I, I thought they got it right. 
Um, as a guy who's made that play on the DN like Grizzlick, when you come in full speed sometimes and you go to get that puck and now it's you're reaching out towards the boards, sometimes when you come in, your, your stick's a little jammed and you lean forward to get all of it as you kind of snap it around. And I think that's all he did there. Sunquist, I mean, I did he get him in the head a little bit? Yeah. I don't think that's the intention. I, I just think it's a hard forward check. Am I probably going to get executed for this up here? Sure. <laughs> but, I mean, as a guy who played, like, that's all I think it is. I just think it's a hard forward check. Unfortunate. I mean, Matt Grizzlick has been tearing it up for us. He's been logging ice time. He's been playing big minutes. He's been playing against big people. And he is, I mean, I think him and David Pasternak have to be the best NHL contracts in the league right now. Yeah. But, like, definitely unfortunate. Grizzlick in the NHL concussion protocol. He is going to miss game three. Did not even travel with the team. Cassidy stated he is day-to-day. Will we see him in game four? I don't think so. I think probably a better chance for game five if we see him at all. And your boy Johnny Moore is going to be stepping into the top six to replace Grizzlick now. Mm. Yeah, um... Johnny Moore in that game four in Carolina stepped in after not playing for basically a whole series because he played a little bit in the Toronto series, didn't play in the Columbus one. Stepped in that game for Zidane Chara. I actually thought that game was his best one of the playoffs because there was a couple of other ones where he was really shaky. And I mean, I wasn't the most confident in him. I mean, this is a tough spot to come in and play and. As a guy who hasn't, I, I want to say this correctly, for a guy who hasn't played in the Stanley Cup Finals, he, he did play against Carolina in the Eastern Conference Finals, I get that, but this St. Louis team is a different monster than Carolina is by far. They are going to be coming for him. They are going to come fast and they're going to come hard. He needs yeah, to keep needs to keep his head on a swivel or I mean he'll be like Grizzly number two they'll they'll run him right through the boards he's not a big guy at all not a physical guy at all either yeah the good thing about Moore is from his time with the Rangers one of his skill sets is skating a puck out of the defensive zone and helping with the transition game so that could be a good counter um, if he has enough time to gather the puck in a D end where as long as he gets his head up and he gains possession of the puck he should be able to help uh him and a pass up or skate it out of the zone and get it uh the puck dumped in for the offensive forward check that way but again it's all predicated on if he's going to have enough time before the forward check comes in so we'll see what happens there in terms of the hit on Grizzlick, i don't think it was a malicious hit it's kind of a combination of the two things for me that i've been complaining about for a while now with the league one I think the only reason why he got suspended and not just fined was because Grizzlick missed the rest of the game. So they assumed uh, injury, concussion, head injury. So that probably helped with the suspension. The other thing was Sunquist got him right in the numbers. And that, on his surface, is a hit from behind and a board, which was the correct call on the ice. But Grizzlick did that thing where a lot of defenders now do, or forwards on the sideboards. At the last second, they turn their back completely to the oncoming uh, player and then they get hit into the glass or the dashboards and suffer an injury and they know that's going to be a penalty so it's kind of part of the game plan now to try draw a call that way 
and that just continues to lead to injuries and suspensions where if Grizzly just played that, played that puck normally, I don't think he would have gotten uh, him to the boards like he was by Sunquist. No, I'm with you on that because if he plays that normally, he's on his forehand, swinging it around the backside of the net. Sunquist gets him in the shoulder on the front side. So he'd be coming in back, spinning around forward. And, yeah, I mean, he was still going to get crunched, whether it was forward or behind. But, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a different result there. Going after it, too, do you think this is like a one-and-one type thing where Krug had his hit, Sunquist has his, no penalty for Krug, Sunquist gets just the two minutes and then the one-game suspension, a a fourth-line guy for him, not a huge, huge hit, but do you think this is kind of now the NHL drawing their line in the sand like, hey, you guys each got one. We're okay with your normal board play and all that, but there is not going to be you skating 160 feet down the ice, and there is not going to be you guys crunching anybody from the back because now we're going to go a different route. That definitely could be it because now that's two major hits in the series in the first two games that drew a lot of attention for casual hockey fans and just ESPN.com and things like that that led to head injuries. Thomas is out. Uh, game two, he's going to be out for game three most likely. Uh, Grizzlick is out. So I think the NHL definitely is trying to step in and say, because the physical play, especially in game two, picked up with guys like Edmondson and Bortuzzo and you know Marshan doing his normal chirping and Bacchus with the big hit on, uh, what is it, Blay? Yeah, so but, Sammy uh, Blake. Yeah, Sammy Blay. So I think the NHL is just trying to keep help the referees by keeping it a little under control where – the physical play is fine, but Danny Shell doesn't want their marquee playoff matchup, the Stanley Cup final, to be known and get gathering news as multiple players suffering head injuries from illegal hits. And one other and thing one- with it, with that hit, and they only give Sunquist two minutes, and then they debated all day on Thursday as to what that was going to be. They didn't come out till eight o'clock at night with he was suspended for a game. They waited all day. My question is, do you think the league got it right in the sense of there's been so much drama this postseason with officials? They just call it two minutes on the ice. The league can suspend them a game after. Because if they call that five at that point in the game, I mean, I I know the Bruins' power play has sucked, but I mean they have a chance to possibly open that game open, you know, mm-hmm. wide open. So I don't know if the NHL has talked to officials or whatever it may be, but maybe that's what it was. You know, no one wants to be that guy who has to make that call, especially in a Stanley Cup final. So, you know, just call whatever you think it is on the ice, and then we can do the dirty work after. Yeah, the NHL can always add additional discipline on borderline calls after the game versus taking away a five-minute power play and possibly multiple goals scored on a borderline call. So I think that might play into it. My thing is, and I had this written down from watching two games, the referees are starting to become a factor for both teams in the sense that they have to include that into their game plan because you have the two hits that we've talked about. There's been plenty of ticky-tack plays where 
it's inconsistent. One gets called, one doesn't. That slash that Braden Shen got called on was a ridiculous slashing call, um, in my view. And he got called on that in a key point in the game. I think it was second or third period, tied 2-2. And it gets called for a pretty crappy slashing call, in my view. Um, Boston got penalized for a few calls that were kind of had left me shaking my head. So the referees are starting to become a factor again, and this is supposed to be the best of the best with the Stanley Cup final. So I don't know if their mindset of trying to be conservative um, to avoid becoming a storyline is in a way making them a storyline by missing calls and being too conservative and trying to get every single tactical call down. Or if it's just this is the quality of officiating in NHL and it's just something that both teams have to deal with. Yeah, that's that's interesting what you just said right there. So that 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 could definitely be it because we're now, like you said, with the best of the best officials. Is the game that fast, or are they scared to make the wrong call? I mean, it seems like they've spent a whole bunch of time on an iPad this postseason, whether it's offsides or a goal or anything else. Like, you, why change now, right? Shit, I couldn't imagine back in a day where there was only one referee on the ice. Oh, I mean, can you imagine the abuse that <laughs> Kerry Frazier and Kevin Collins and all those guys back in the day took over? Like you said, there's one ref, two linesmen back in the day, and that was in the days of the hook-in, and like, that must have been an absolute nightmare refing games back then. Yeah, and that's why the game slowed down so much, because there was so much shit going on behind the play that I was going on called. But we'll see. I think game three is a pivotal game. For the referees, too, because if this is another game where there's a blown call or a call that's going to lead to a turning point in a game for momentum for either team, it's going to become a major storyline because you're dealing with a mark in a Boston that's been there, done that. I've been saying that for a couple of weeks now, and the fans are on top of it, and they're going to be on these refs' asses. And then you have St. Louis, who at first time since 1970, they're home the next two games, so any call that goes against them that's kind of ticky-tack is going to be highlighted even more. So I think if Game 3 goes well, it might calm down both fan bases a little bit, but this has the potential to start becoming a major storyline for the Stanley Cup Final. Well, let's get into it. Uh, recap of Game 1. It was a story of two different teams, man. Um, the Bruins do not come out and start that game. They're, they're in the locker room late. You know, typical not a 60-minute game for them. More like this one was more like 30. Um we discussed the last episode that any mistake either way, the other team is going to capitalize on in the first two goals by St. Louis was exactly that. Um, awful reverse on one play popped out, buried it. Yep. Um, I just think, I don't know if it was a communication thing or whatever it was, but something was not clicking with them at that point. And then halfway through the second period, the Bruins team of the Bruins team shows up and it looked like varsity against JV just absolutely blew the doors off St. Louis the rest of that game. And I just, I don't know why they can't construct that from game one to game two, but we'll get into game two after, but yeah, like they, they just come out flat. Like this is a Stanley cup final game and we come out like dog shit next. Um, you want to talk about a storyline? How about this? 
our first line is completely MIA. So who do you go to for offense? Your second line, right? No, your fourth line. Karali, Achari, and Joakim Nordstrom, who has now put his name on the map after the game two block block shot. like in Gregory s- Campbell? Yeah, like our fourth line is going out there and scoring goals for us. So That's yet, what again, need. yet again, we talked about that last episode. The depth of both teams where it can come from anywhere. I think the Bruins are getting to Bennington a little bit, or maybe it's just the stage. Uh, there have been some soft goals on his end, man. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if this is just fatigue. Like, the, he's played a lot of hockey, a lot of hockey. Because once he came on in January there and he was actually winning them games, they didn't take him out. Like, hey, you, you've won the last. Keep going, kid. Keep going. Yeah, they had a lot of just to make the playoffs. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe he's getting a little tired on that end. A a couple of softies. Game two, same thing from him. Um, The two five-hole goals were ridiculously bad. Very bad. Um, Before game two, Tuka Rask outside of those two goals in game one that he got absolutely hung out to dry, I, I don't think you can blame him for anything here. And then on no, top he made of it, a couple of big saves to keep the team in it. Yeah, and then on top of it too, in game one, once the Bruins start rolling and everything else, he doesn't. He didn't have to steal you that game. So I, I think that's just another thing in the back of my head of, you know, for the Tuker monitors out there that, <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? Like he didn't have to steal you game one. So there's still hopes he's going to steal you a game in this series. Maybe it's three, maybe it's four, but. Th- do you need him to steal you a game? I apologize about that. Going into game two, Bruins fans absolutely deserved this loss completely. Uh, after game one, all I'm hearing on the radio, we're so much better than St. Louis. They suck. We're going to sweep them. And it's like, dude, do you only watch the Bruins in the playoffs? Like, have you not seen the team that St. Louis is like the battle with Winnipeg, like what they just went through with San Jose and coming out on top. They had a bad game. It it sucks to have one this time of the year, but they had a bad game. And then here we go. Game two, where the St. Louis of old shows up those big bodies. They outplayed us. They out physical us. They out everything us. And Tuca kept you in that game. And here we go. I know it's it was Tuca's fault. It was Zidane's fault. No. Was it? Yeah, it was the second goal. Where the hell is Brad Marchand going? Like, oh, yeah. Completely far across the ice. And then he gets beat up ice by Tarasenko, who ends up scoring the goal. Char ends up playing that two-on-one good. They end up getting a shot. He ended up blocking the first shot so Tuca doesn't even get a chance at that one because Zidane had and then the second one poke check and then third one finally goes in Martian gets beat down the ice too covering Tarasenko like where he should have been on that play he was not even close he has been completely MIA game one he was absolute dog shit could not get the puck out of the zone there was about four turnovers that he had right at our blue line and it's like you know better when it comes to certain players, you know better. So I don't know if there's an injury there, if 
his mental things as to how far he wants to cross the line or do stupid shit to other people is now taking a toll on his own personal game. Maybe he, you know, they're going to crush me through the boards because I talk a lot of shit. Like, whatever's going on needs to be fixed because these first two games, he has been god-awful and he's been on another planet. Like, not, not even a little good. The thing for me with Marshand is when we were doing our Stanley Cup final preview, I was talking about, and I, I was looking at this from a beat or be beaten. So I was looking at it as to take Marshand out of his game, possibly bring him to the box. Worst case scenario for Boston, he gets a suspension for some borderline play during the Stanley Cup. Having got a guy like Shen go after him, Edmondson, and you had mentioned that I forget who it was in St. Louis. Was it Petrangelo that said that they were just going to ignore him? Uh, Maroon, Patrick Maroon. Yeah, they were just going to ignore him uh, that way. I don't know if that has something to do with it because you saw when he like elbowed slash shoved Bennington uh, after a whistle, and Bennington just acted like nothing even happened, just skated away. Marshall kept chirping. Nothing happened there. Everybody, it's been they've been playing him a little physical and stuff, but they've been going out of their way to just let him run around and expend his energy trying to get under people's skin, trying to get shit going. Because I think he does play better in games where it's more physical and he's in scrums in a corner and he's yapping back and forth with guys on the opposing team's bench. And I don't know if him not being able to do that takes him more off his game, but like you said, he's been invisible. He had a really poor game, too. And... He's proven himself, so I'm not going to start doubting, and I'm not saying you are either, but I'm not going to start doubting that he's going to be able to pull through in games three, four, five, six, whatever. But if this continues in game three, you got to start looking at pulling Marshawn aside and going, stop trying to worry about that shit. You can score 40 goals a year. We need your offense right now. We don't need you trying to draw penalties. I'm with you. I mean, I think the coaching staffs are something, too, because – Later in game two, they switched those lines around. They had Pasta with Krejci, and they had Bacchus up with them. So maybe they're just trying to, I don't know, mentally get Brad back. I I don't know what it is, but there was definitely an issue there. One other thing I noticed, too, was once as the Bruins were down to five defensemen, Connor Clifton, who has been decent for us, very good for a rookie, awful. <laughs> Awful game, too. Um, the high stick, just bad plays, just getting eaten alive. I don't know if that has to do with because they were down to five defensemen. So, I mean, maybe he was tired from the more ice time. But he needs to bounce back. And if he has a bad game three and Grizzlick's not back for game four, now your third line defensive parent is John Moore and Stephen Kampfer. Ugh. Like Camper couldn't even stick with the Rangers, so that's all you need to say. Yeah, I mean, right now that Kevin Miller injury is killing you. Like, should have been back in the second round, had a setback. We were expecting him back. That Like, just whatever it is isn't healing right. And, yeah, talk about a huge miss right now. Because, I mean, if you'd love to plug anybody in there right now, it would be Kevin Miller over the three of them. So exactly. Like, oh. For me, I didn't. I'm not going to go 
game one, game two, I just jotted down like a couple quick notes. Some of them you touched on already, so I won't spend too much time on them. Uh, but for me, the first factor for St. Louis is Jordan Bennington. In the preview, I said the difference between him and Tuka Rask is Tuka can steal you a game or a series. Bennington won't cost you a series, and there's a big difference between those two things. But Bennington, he got bailed out in Game 2, but those two awful five-hole goals. Game 1, he was a little shaky. If that's how he's going to be playing, for whatever reason, fatigue, like you mentioned, I don't think the moment is too big for him, whatever the situation is. Do I look nervous? Yeah. I don't think St. Louis is going to have a chance to win a series if this is the level of goaltending they're going to be getting from Bennington. So he's got to close that up. Boston, you can tell in game two, they specifically attacked his five hole. So I don't know if it's something they picked up in video, uh, if it's just something that they picked up throughout game one and then they wanted to refocus their efforts for game two in that area. But that's something that he's going to have to shore up there for St. Louis to have a chance in the series. The other thing for Toronto is the return of Vlad the Great, Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Tarasenko. Two goals in the first two games. He has five goals and three assists in the six games ever since we posted that missing persons poster in the uh, Dallas series. He's come alive, which is a huge factor for the Blues offensively. Um, The interesting part for him is his ice time has decreased. Game, the last game against uh, San Jose, he had 13 minutes of ice time, 16 in game one for Boston, 15 in game two against Boston. So he's not getting first-line franchise forward minutes. And I don't know if that's helping him or not, because ever since his minutes have been reduced, started going down after uh, the game game two against San Jose, that's when his offense started picking up. So I don't know if he's dealing with an injury and unless ice time is helping him, but Tarasenko has reemerged, and that's going to be a big boost for them offensively to move forward because they have depth just like Boston, but Boston has more game breakers. So if they get Tarasenko back, that's huge. The other thing, and this is kind of leading into your thoughts for games three and four. The first line for Boston, like you said, has been pretty much shut down. And that's all the credit to St. Louis for the game plans they've put in place. But even with your first line out, the series is still tied 1-1. And I know you guys are going on the road, so it's a whole different animal. But if you, before the series started, if I told you that your top line would be playing net negative, Marshan would have played so poorly in the first two games and made a couple mistakes that you'd be tied 1-1. Would you have signed up for that? If you told me after two games we were tied at 1-1, I would sign up for it in a heartbeat. Yeah. So that's one area where if you're a Bruins fan, I would look at it and go, we're tied 1-1. And I don't think, even after his performance in game two, I don't think two guys had to bail you guys out or win a game for, by himself. And you still haven't gotten anything from your first line. So that's a positive there, in my view, for Bruins and Bruins fans. The other aspect going to game three is St. Louis did look a little off, nervous, a lot of energy, whatever you want to say, in the first two games in Boston. And they're still able, and Biddington played poorly, but you're still able to go home tied 1-1. That's a win for them, too. So I think game three is the confidence game for the rest of the series. If St. Louis wins it and the first line for Boston continues to struggle, Grizzly doesn't come back for game four, I think all the momentum is on St. Louis's side. But if Boston wins game three and 
even if you guys don't get production from your first line, how much confidence would you have as a guy in that room where you're up two games to one in the Stanley Cup final after winning the first game on the road and your top line still hasn't produced? For me, I'd be like, all right, boys, once you get going, we got this. Oh, yeah, and I mean, that first line in general in the playoffs, they've gone through these stretches. I mean, mm-hmm. Brad Marchand's second in the league in playoff points. Completely MIA right now, but, I mean, eight goals and 11 assists in the playoffs. So when they've been shut down, when they finally figure it out, they're on fire. So, yeah, if they can figure it out, I think it's going to be huge. Going into game three, one thing here is our fourth line has neutralized St. Louis's first line. With that and now having the last change, mm-hmm. if Baruby sees Cassidy sending out that fourth line, he's not sending out his first line. Like, can you, because if his first line can go out there not against them and actually produce even more, games three and four are going to be an absolute nightmare for Boston. Nightmare. Especially with the depth on D being kind of destroyed. Yeah, I mean, because now you don't know if they're just going to keep Clifton and Moore together as that last pair if they're switching things up. Or you just give them minimal minutes. But then you're you're straining the other guys. I, I honestly don't know what they're going to do there. They need to go in and they need to weather this storm. This first 10 minutes tomorrow is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. They are going to be flying in St. Louis. That building is going to be crazy loud. With guys who are now stepping into their first game, I think they they just have to do their best to stay their lane, keep shots wide, let Tuca see the puck as best as he can and, and hope and pray that it works. Um, on the other end for St. Louis, they need that Pat Maroon that showed up in game two in Boston to show up for games three and four. He was an absolute pain in the ass that whole game two. Game one, I have no idea where he was. But game two, he was <laughs> he's knocking bodies around. He's pushing everybody around. St. Louis, if they come in as physical as they were in game two, the Bruins either need to match that physicality or if St. Louis is being over-aggressive, find a way to beat them out on a breakout and get your chances in transition. Because if not, St. Louis is coming back to Boston up 3-1. No question. Um, Tuka Rask needs to steal you a game here with... All the injuries you currently have. Um, Bergeron didn't practice today. They called it a maintenance day. I call it not a maintenance day because at the end of the game, he wasn't even taking faceoffs. So, you know, kind of reminding me of 2013. Who knows what's going on there? I don't know, man. It's these next two games are huge. You could either come down three to one at home, you can come with a split, or you can come up three to one at home with a chance to win the cup on home ice. The thing for me, and I'll end this with probably what you'll term a scorching hot take, but for St. Louis, you have to win. You can't go down 3-1 in this situation because, yeah, Boston has the top four of Chara, McAvoy, Krug, and Carlo, but Chara is playing hurt. He's not, as you can see in game two, he's somebody that you can attack. And which is odd to say after all these years. So you're basically are forcing Boston to potentially play with only three stout defenders 
for an entire game. So you got to play physical. You got to just attack, attack, attack. For me, they need, if Dunn comes back for game three, I know there was rumors that he might be able to play in game two, which didn't happen. If he comes back in game three, that's a huge boon in two ways. One, it reduces the minutes for guys like Petrangelo and Pareko. Petrangelo is averaging about 25 minutes of ice time in the first two games, which he's a horse, but if you can spread that around a little bit more, that'd be great. So Dunn helps there. But also that highlights just how much more depth they have on a back end than Boston has for games three and four. With Dunn, Bomeister, Pareko, uh, Petrangelo, like Bertuzzo, Edmondson. Boston can't match that at this point with the injuries and the inconsistent play. So keep it low scoring, attack Boston's D, and they should be able to pull this out. This is a golden opportunity for the Blues to take a commanding lead in the series. If you go back to Boston 2-2, it's not the end of the world, but you can't lose both games at home in a scenario. The other thing is Ryan O'Reilly needs to step the fuck up. He has one assist in the first two games. He hasn't scored in a playoff since game one against San Jose. He's their top-line center. He's their best all-around forward. He's a leader for them. He's got to get on the board. I'm not saying he's been playing poorly, but he's got to get on the board here. And if he doesn't step up, it's not going to be a long series for St. Louis. On the Boston side of things, they just got, like you said, they got to weather the storm for game three, especially in the beginning. If they're able to win game three, I feel like that puts St. Louis on, will put St. Louis on their heels a little bit because everything's set up for them to win uh, at least one of the next two games. My scorching hot take is this. Just to finish off my point about Game 3 being a quote-unquote confidence game. This late into the season, you're in Game 3 to Stanley Cup Final. There's no more video that you can watch that's going to spark a light bulb. There's no more practices that's going to get you going. It's, either, it's what you have and what you can leave out on the ice. Right now, it's all about confidence. I think Game 3 is a huge turning point for the teams based on the things I mentioned already. Whoever wins Game 3 is going to win a Stanley Cup Final. There it is. It, it, it's hot. It, it's going to be off the press. It, <laughs> it, it's coming. Um, biggest thing I have right now, I know all the injuries and everything else. I'm putting it down to Tuca versus Bennington. Mm. Just flat out right there. Bennington's been soft. If he can't turn it around, I think at some point Boston will figure it out and they win the series. If Tuca stays hot, I don't see St. Louis beating him. I, I don't think any of the goals have been his fault so far through two games. So if he can stay in his zone, I, I think we'll be discussing Tuka Rask, not only a Stanley Cup champion that he played the games in, but Con Smythe winner. Oh, I agree on that. If guys win it, it's probably going to be him. So we will see. Uh, do do we have any shout outs in the playoffs or do we wait till series are over? Uh, let's wait till series are over. Um, I guess just throwing really quick, the last point for me, besides the top line having to pick it up for you guys, the Martian definitely needed to pick it up. Krejci, this is his moment. He's always a playoff performer. You can tell Bergeron struggling a little bit health-wise and production-wise. You said if Tuga steps up, you guys will have a chance. You guys need Krejci to step up here and pick up some of the slack and pick his boys up. If Krejci steps up, that's going to be a huge boost for you guys. All right, one hot take before we go. <laughs> I, I know it's. Uh, I'm just on the edge of my seat. I'm going, David Backus has taken a beating this series. 
Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he he gave out uh, that beautiful hit like you talked about against Sammy Bly, Blay, whatever the hell his name is. His last name is Blaze. I don't know why they call him Sammy Blay. <laughs> Got to be French. But, yeah, um, French Canadian. Ugh, disgusting. But um, he's been taking a beating, and I think it's finally going to pay off on that score sheet. David Backus in St. Louis, two game-winning goals, game three and game four. Oh, oh my God, would that be bad? Suck <laughs> on that. There it is. All right, so we both got our two hot takes. I'll make sure to highlight those when we share it on social media. All right. Um, everybody, this is Friday, May 31st. The Bruins are playing tomorrow night, June 1st, Saturday, and then they are playing June 3rd, Monday night. So that gives us three and four, and we will give you a preview before game five. Whether it is good for me, bad for me, or neutral for me, we will give you a review, whichever way it may be. Everybody, thank you as always. I hope we could fill an hour the best we could. It's getting there. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens. I think we're just living on a prayer.